we think concerning the great cause of missions in the world today. As was mentioned, I, w I went to India when I was six months old. I had a little help getting there. But I was raised up in Assam, northeast area of India, some 800 miles northeast of Calcutta. And I had the privilege of being raised in the jungles up there. I had a pet leopard as one of my pets. My car has the license plate Bengal Tiger on it that my wife gave me because I had a Bengal Tiger as a pet. I uh, loved the jungle. I have hunted and been hunted. <clears throat> and of course, hunting is a very non-politically correct statement, so we go harvesting whenever we need some good food. And I just got back from Colorado where my son, who's a pastor, and I went bow hunting, uh, bow harvesting uh, for these things that carry some meat that feed my grandchildren. And uh, so, you know, and I, I want you to know that I am an ecologist, I'm a conservationist, and I also harvest. <clears throat> it's just a great privilege to be able to be here. And I look out at you and I say, thank God for all of you that have made it your life's ambition to be the young people that God would have you to be. You see, I went away to boarding school. I learned, I didn't learn how to speak English until I, I mean, I understood English, but I wouldn't speak it, lest you think I'm totally illiterate. I learned four other languages before I learned English. But uh, when I did learn English, I was taught in British boarding school, and I was taught to speak properly. And I even sang, God Save the King, and so that shows you exactly how young I am. Great Britain did have a king at one time. And I was a very small tad of a lad at that time, all right? And people have asked me, are you an American or are you English? I say, whatever's most advantageous, I will use that at the moment. In Great Britain, it's incredibly important. In Hong Kong, it makes it very, very special for you because you get a British price instead of an American price. And so, you know, these are wonderful things. We're going to have a wonderful time this next several days together, and I just want you to know I have two sons. My wife and I have two sons. They're two little guys, six foot six. My oldest son weighs about 260 plus, and uh, my youngest son about 212, 218. But they're great young men that love the Lord. They have beautiful wives and families, and the greatest privilege I have is to know that both of those young men are walking with the Lord. We've had the privilege of serving on the mission field, as has been mentioned in the Philippines and in Sri Lanka, and then in India, all through that area of the world. Some almost 30 years of my life have been spent in that part, portion of the world. I will say this, that we have laid aside three of our family. We have three graves that we have left starting with our oldest daughter, ending with our youngest son. I stand before you, having been captured by the communists. I was to be executed. 
And in the midst of it all, I said, Lord, what in the world is this all about? But God delivered us. We had the joy of seeing our communist capture come to know Jesus Christ after we'd been beaten to a pulp. We won't probably have time to talk about all that. But I want you to know that I have been there. I want you to know something else. I've had the privilege of leading people to the Lord that have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And when I had to leave overseas because of a health problem in 1964, I was given three days to live. I told the doctor I'd do everything I could to help him with his reputation. But God kept me from going back, and it's been the heartbreak of my life. But what we've done, we've gone back four and five and six weeks at a time because my heart is there. And I've just been thrilled to have the opportunity of now going across this nation, around the world, speaking so that you might have the joy of saying, Lord, whatever it costs me, I want to invest my life for you. I'd like this morning to just remind all of you that it's a good idea once in a while, as young as you are, to do something very, very unique. I've done thousands of funerals in my life. I've seen thousands of people that have starved to death in the area that I've been working during famine time. Every once in a while it would be a good idea for you to go out and walk through a cemetery and just look at all of the headstones. And you know, some have great big compartments for the dead. And in India we have the great Taj Mahal. But most of the time you see a beginning date and an ending date. It's amazing to me to go and to see those that are young that have passed away, those that are a little older. But it's amazing, all of them have a beginning date and an ending date. But I want you all to know that there's a hyphen, and that hyphen is about the same in every one of them. And I want all of us to recognize that that hyphen is what we are living today. And every one of us, apart from the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, I look forward to that day. And I'd love to see Him come. But there's a job to be done. But apart from His coming, all of us will have an ending date. And I know we're young, we're vibrant, we're, we're full of life. We have all sorts of things that come into our lives. We're not thinking of death. I want you just to remember, at a friend of mine whose name was Jim Elliott, and he made this statement, a man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And I would like this morning to just remind all of us that that hyphen is all that we have in life. And that hyphen is all that's going to be said about you. And have you stopped to think about your epitaph? I know one, didn't work too much, but I know one, a maid that was... Very, very tired, working all the time. And she said, I want this to be put on my gravestone. Here lies Liza Jones. I've been tired forever, but now don't bother me now. Don't bother me never, because I'm going to lie here and do nothing forever and ever. 
Isn't that great? Wonderful. I thought it was profound. I want to make sure that all of us recognize the moment that that ending day comes is the moment we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to give an account of all the things that we've done. And a lot of people have a lot of problem with other people. And they're always hitting some other people. I will tell you, I've got my hands full with me. And I want to make sure that during my period of time that I invest this little hyphen to accomplish what God intended that I would accomplish. Recently, I went to the psychiatric ward of a hospital. A young man that had an IQ that was beyond genius by about 30 points that had been involved in an area that he shouldn't have been, got himself involved with drugs, and he got one bad trip. And here he sits in the hospital. He is 20 years of age, and he doesn't even know his name. And all of the great things were written about him in college and all of the future. Here he sits doing nothing. I stop and I look oftentimes when I walk through the villages of India. And I see on the side of the village an area that there are a whole lot of pottery pieces that are just thrown. But then you see the ladies carrying pottery vases on their heads full of water and they're being used. And whenever you walk through the village and you see that, there's some of them that look good, but they are cast away. And I have a verse of Scripture that constantly reminds me of the fact that after having done everything that I myself might not be a castaway. And there are lots of Christians that are on the side of the village, so to speak, that have been cast away, that have been worthless, worth nothing, because they have not said, Lord, here's my life. Make it what you'd have me to be. This is why this morning I'd like to speak on the subject, the head of the church, the heart of missions. Open your Bibles, if you will, with me to the 12th chapter of the book of the Gospel of John. And you'll notice, starting with verse 12, a number of statements that are made. And I just want to read the story because it is a historic declaration and I would like to just read it for you. And some of you will say, you're reading King James. Of course, what did you expect me to read? Yeah? I mean, after all, it's done properly. I do know that Paul had another version, though. On the twelfth verse, it says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when He had found a young donkey, sat thereupon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting upon a donkey's colt. These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that which th these things that were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. And the people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they 
heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees therefore said unto themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Remember that. Underline it. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And the same came, therefore, to Philip, saying, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desiring him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew and Andrew, and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man shall be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Now is my soul troubled, Jesus said. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spoke to him. But Jesus answered and said, The voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This, he said, signifying what death he should die. May God allow this passage of Scripture to be the nesting place of the thoughts of each of us today. When I think of Jesus Christ, He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's amazing to me when I think of all of the things that are spoken today, I miss the mark of the significant imprint of Jesus Christ in so many of the churches of today. And so many individuals. We are so enamored with all of the extra things, all of the extracurricular things. Oh, we want fellowship. Oh, we want this gift. Or we want that experience. We want that miracle. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, I want to say to you, it's time that an American generation rises up and says, we want to show the world the head of the church, Jesus Christ, and He is sufficient. Don't forget it. Now think of this with me for a moment. Think of this in relationship to Jesus. I am the way, He said, not a way. I am the truth, He said, not a truth. I am the life, not a life, but the life. Jesus Christ said it. It's told about the different religious areas of the world. The great Confucius leader, Confucius himself of Confucianism, when he was asked by one of his disciples, came up to him and said, Great teacher, would you tell us of the world to come? And Confucius said, Of this world I can tell thee of. Of this world I can give thee guidance, but of the world to come you'll have to ask a teacher greater than I. And the great man known as one of the great, placed as one of the great Buddhas of China, 
His name was Amida Buddha. He came to the land of India after the Apostle Thomas came and Christianity moved through. And this man heard all the way in China that there was somebody that would forgive sin. And he made his pilgrimage all the way down to South India to meet somebody that could tell him about the forgiveness of sin. And he found it. And he went back to China with the message that there was a God that forgave sin. I remember a number of years ago when I was in the privilege to be in the land of Sri Lanka, Ceylon at that particular time. The Prime Minister Srimabandaranaika had been killed, assassinated by a Buddhist priest. That Buddhist priest's name was Somarama. And I had a friend of mine who was a missionary. And he and I went to visit Somarama in prison. And we gave him a Bible and he started to read and he started to be taken by the things of forgiveness. And one day, two-inch headlines on the Salon Times which said, Somarama becomes a Christian. And then it went on and they asked him why. And he said, because... In Christianity is the only place there is forgiveness of sin. Beloved, I want you to know that in my country of India, there are gods all over the place. And there are those things, great stories that have been told. And one of them is about the god Garnish. A great king came back. He had made a vow that the first thing he saw he would sacrifice when he came back from the victory because the gods had given him victory. And the first one that met him was his little boy, and so he had his boy beheaded. But his wife was so troubled that he had done this, (coughs) that he asked the gods for help. And the gods told him that all he needed to do was go and find, and whatever object he found, the first one was to decapitate it and bring the head and place it on the body of the child, and it would be made into a living being. Saw a baby elephant. And so the first thing they did was behead this baby elephant and they took the head and they placed it on the body of the child and that body started to live. And that was the beginning of the God Garnish. And every Hindu home has the God Garnish in it which brings good luck to the home. There's also the God Hanuman, which is the monkey god. And he was the monkey prince. And he saved a beautiful princess from wicked men. And because of that, he became a god. A great Hindu holy man sat under a great tree. And he looked up into the heavens and he said, Oh God, Ram, he said, how many times do I have to be reborn? And it is told that the God Ram looked down at him and said to him, Count the leaves of the tree that is above you. And as many leaves as there are, that is how many times you will be, have to be reborn and then you will have the privilege of becoming involved with the great nirvana. And he started to count, and as he counted, of course, there were thousands. Finally, this Hindu holy man, it is told, started to dance and started to scream and started to shout for joy. And he cried out and he said, Oh God, Ram, so few rebirths for so great a sinner as I. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you, in the midst of it all, with all of the philosophical things coming in from the East 
and all of the things of religious background, I want you to know Jesus Christ stands alone. Jesus Christ is the one that stands uniquely. When I think of Islam, Muhammad, and I had the privilege one time of speaking in Lahore, Pakistan. You can't use the Bible. So I went to the chief of police and I said, what if I use the Quran? Oh, he said, that would be all right. So I used the Quran and I spoke. And it says something very interesting. In the book of the Quran, it speaks about in one place, when Angia is come, receive it, because it is full truth. You know what Angia is? Gospel. Good news. Interesting. And then it goes on to say that, you know, Jesus is a prophet received by the Islamic people. But there it says that one day Jesus will come from heaven and take the people of the way to heaven. It says it. And I talked about it. Beloved, I want you to know you don't have to be ashamed of representing Jesus Christ. He stands uniquely alone and He changes the lives of those that touch Him by faith. And so this morning, as we think of the head of the church, Jesus Christ, He is here described, in my estimation, in relationship to the heart of mission because He says that He had to die in order that this might be accomplished. <clears throat> I think concerning three thoughts. First, the Jesus that the ancient world saw. In the 12th through the 16th verses that we've read, the people watched the entry into Jerusalem. <clears throat> and they took branches and they said, Hosanna, blessed be the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. The ancient people saw a different type of king. The ancient people heard a different type of message. They heard what they wanted to hear. They were involved in listening to what they perceived would be the truth. You see, after all, Rome was incredibly problematic. Rome was incredibly difficult to live with. But here they were involved at this time and they saw Jesus and they said, He is going to deliver us from Rome. May I say carefully that as I listen to some of the people on television, and I don't look at it very much, um, I want to be careful, but I do want to just say this. The latest thing now is joy in the Spirit. I don't know if you've caught it or not. And they, people break out in hilarious laughter and they go flopping in the aisles and, you know, I mean, it, it, I mean they're just dying with laughter, you know? And, they, and this <clears throat> man that came and introduced this at a particular university, and I w won't mention any names, but it is in a place that starts with an O. Anyway, <clears throat> I mean, the state. Anyhow, but it was introduced there. And so some of these guys have said, Oh, wow! You see something? It's amazing! Something new! I mean, you know, first of all, we've been slain in the Spirit. And you know, I've watched these guys, you know, somebody goes, Pink! And they go, Phew! Whoa! You know? 
And then you see this. Now, something new, something exciting. Well, isn't that just like America? I mean, you get married and she's the doll of your life. And man, she is fantastic. Wow, nobody quite like her. But a few years later, hey, I want a new model, man. I got to have something new and exciting. Beloved, Jesus is not for sale for excitement. Jesus is here so that we might have stability and be able to stand in relationship to that which is ahead of us. And you ought to be the most secure bunch in the entire world. You know, I get so tired of, you know, poor me. You, ever, you, you know any Christians that walk on a pity party? Uh, you ever had any? I, of course, I have, but I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you never have. I've had times in the ministry I've said, wow, Lord, I can't handle it. And God seems to remind me, hey, stupid, you're not supposed to handle it. I'll handle it. The battle belongs to me. And then I listen to these guys say, hey, devil, I want you, you know, I was with a bunch of preachers and they're going to remove the demonic angel from San Jose. And I was sitting there and I'm going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I said, do you know his name? Well, we're fighting principalities and powers. No, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, he eats you up. When I was... <laughs> I used to... How do I say it? Well, anyway, I went hunting with my boy. And I wanted not to kill. And there's a difference between hunters and killers, in case you want to know. My both boys were about this big and about this big. And, of course, my wife said the little guy was not big enough. But I said, honey, it's all right. I want him to get excited and get to see the leopards, you know? Because I knew where they were. And we went out there. Whoa, man. He was... Ooh, no. He got out there and I had my rifle, of course. My older son had his little air gun and my youngest son had a pop gun because, you know, anyway... And we got out in this area when I knew the, the leopards were and all of a sudden there was a... And I want to tell you something. Their eyes got big. The little, and I was standing like this and I looked at my oldest son he's standing like this and the youngest, he's standing just like this. And I thought, boy, this is neat. I said, hey guys, we're going to sneak over here, okay? I want you to get down because we're going to see something. So we were sneaking on it. All of a sudden, there was a... And right out there, this gorgeous leopard just looking around. I looked over. My oldest son was standing a little closer to me, but like this. The little guy was behind my leg. And I said, John, are you scared? He said, not now. Oh, I tell you, these people that are going to go out and beat the devil, they better understand, you better be behind Jesus Christ, going to whip your... whatever. <laughs> you remember that? And I said to these guys, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you are going to remove this angel that is demonic angel over San Jose? I said, I don't know his name. I, don't... I said, why in the world don't you just remove the devil from the world and quit worrying about it? You know, I mean, let's do, let's go to the top. I want you to know, beloved, the battle belongs to the Lord and you don't have to worry when you stand behind Jesus Christ. He is able to do what you cannot do. You walk there. 
So we walk in relationship to this. The ancient people saw this. They saw the people watch this entry into Jerusalem. They thought, oh wow, this is wonderful. They witnessed the dead coming to life when Lazarus came to life. And after the Jerusalem entry, they recalled. And after the Jerusalem entry, the testimony that came from the Pharisees was, have you noticed that the whole world has gone after him? The whole world has gone after him. And I want you to know that when you present Jesus Christ, the world may get after you, but they will listen. I remember at the University of Salon, I had the privilege of being head basketball coach there every once in a while. Anyway, but not for so long as I used to. But when we went to Salon, of course, we've been involved in the Philippines with basketball and all the rest of it. When we went to Salon, I uh, said, I'd better just be a missionary instead of doing this, you know, I better just... Well, hey, my wife said, you better be thinking about it. I said, well, I'll tell you what, because colleges asked if I would come and so on. I said, well, if the greatest university in this country asked me to come, then I'll go. That was on Wednesday and on Sunday, and I mentioned this last night at a wonderful church, by the way, with Pastor Craig Miller here last night. But I said I'd go. Well, that, on Sunday, there were 40 guys from the university with a gold embossed envelope from the chancellor of the university asking me to be the coach of the University of Salon. Well, my wife laughed, I tell you. She said, well, you ought to know better. But anyway, so I went and I said, I'll take no money, but you guys got to listen to me speak one time a week. I don't care where it is, but one time a week you got to come and hear me speak. Fair enough? I didn't ask the administration. I just talked to the basketball player. And they said, okay. And they came. And you know, we had the privilege of having three national championships and I had four major squads on every year. And of that whole bunch in the three years that we were there, we had the privilege of seeing all but five guys except Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And I want you to know something. One of the guys that didn't, just last month, one of the men, Dr. Roy, from our West Coast area, and his wife were in a place down in Florida, and she had a problem, had to go to a doctor, and found out that he was from Salon. And, and they said, do you ever know a man by the name of uh, Dr. Cook? And he said he used to be my basketball coach at the University of Salah. I mean, this is quite a few years afterwards, you know? He's the one guy that didn't accept Christ. I found out about him. I wrote him a letter, told him about the fact that I was still praying for him. And, I was, and he called me the other day. You know, that guy's going to accept Christ yet through this stupid game of basketball. God uses all the dumb things in life, you know? <laughs> and then I was asked to coach the national squad. Jesus Christ gave us the privilege of seeing these men come to know Him. I want all of you to know you present the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, the ancient world saw another Jesus, but this Jesus is the one that you and I need to present. The Jesus not only that the ancient world saw, but the Jesus that the expectant disciples knew. You will notice in the 20th through the 22nd verses, they, the statement was, by these Greek people, we would see Jesus. The disciples expected a new kingdom, but they didn't understand it all. Aren't you glad you don't have to understand it all? When I said to the Lord, Lord, I want to give you my life, I never dreamed that I would walk through some of the things I'd have to walk through. But God did this. The disciples were overwhelmed 
with what they saw in the person of Jesus Christ. And the disciples were focused upon the Jesus they were following. And they were all excited about what He was going to do as far as the world was concerned. Yes, the disciples declared their absolute allegiance, but they didn't understand. In the Gospel of Matthew, the 26th chapter, remember when Jesus was speaking and He said that the shepherd is going to be smitten and the sheep are going to be scattered. And then Jesus said, you know, all of you are going to betray Me. And Peter said, no, I'll never betray you, Lord. Even if I have to die for you, I will never betray you. And so said all the disciples. (coughs) But you know something? Peter failed the test. But Peter was not thrown to the junkie. God knew because Jesus said when you're fully converted, when you come to a full understanding, then you strengthen your brethren. Remember when Jesus went to the garden then? And He went in to the garden and He said to them, you disciples sit here. And He took Peter, James, and John. And he said, come with me. And He said, my soul is exceeding heavy. <clears throat> He is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Watch ye. And beloved, Jesus went and He fell on His face before His Father. And He said, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. He came and He found Him asleep. And you know the story. It goes back and forth. Finally, He said, sleep on. And then they came and they took Jesus. The disciples that changed the world were those that let Jesus down in the most crucial moment of His earthly existence. The disciples that changed the world failed. And so today I want you to know, how many of you beside me have failed somewhere? Let me see your hand. Well, a couple of you that haven't, I'd like to talk to you afterwards if I might. All of us have failed. And a lot of times, you know, we think that God throws the baby out with the bathwater. He doesn't do that. God uses us. If we'll just say, Lord, take me, use me, make me what you'd have me to be. Now, if I might, I want you just to know, yes, Jesus that the ancient world saw, the Jesus that the disciples knew, and lastly, the Jesus that perishing humanity needs. The amazing disclosure by the Lord concerning His redemption. He said He had to die. And when that corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it will bear much fruit. We need to remember this. The fact of His death was a necessity to give life to humanity. The determination of His will was a declaration of His love. Not my will, but Thine be done. The world needs to know this. A lot of times, life comes out of death. I had the joy of leading a tremendous young man to Jesus Christ. But before he became a Christian, he came out of Islam... He came to me one day and he said, Sir, may we talk? And I said, Yes. And as we talked together, he said, What will it cost me to become a Christian? And I said, Well, you may be thrown out of your home. You may lose 
everything you have at the university, maybe, you know, and he was just ready to graduate. But I didn't say something I should have said. But I will never forget, as that young man said, Sir, after hearing who Jesus is and what he is, I want to become a Christian. And I will never forget, as long as I live, across from the university, he and I got down on our knees. I had one of these little tiny English Anglia cars, so they're not very big, just pretty good kneeling bench. We got down on our knees, and I had the joy of leading him to Jesus Christ. Well, you know... Some time went by and he went and he gave his testimony everywhere. There was incredible responsiveness to what he had to say. One night about 1.30 in the morning, there was a knock on my door and a man came and said, Sir, you need to come with me. And so I put on my clothes, got in his Jeep, and we went to the outskirts of this area. He said, You need to identify a body. As we were driving along, all of a sudden he turned, these ruts and all, he turned, so the lights went down and there was the body of a man that had been hacked to pieces. He said, I think you know him. And I went down there and I turned that severed head over and those open eyes, instantly it was like I'd been hit by a jolt of electricity. Those open eyes looking at me, sir, what will it cost me? to become a Christian. Even though the temperature was about 98, humidity about 97, I chilled from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I sat there for a moment saying, Oh God, what have I done? What have I done? And all of a sudden I looked and on his belt loop there was a piece of paper that had been folded and I unfolded it and I read it and it said... Islam will not be shamed by Christianity. I bowed my head and I said, Oh God, help me right now. I looked up into the sky and I said, Oh God, if Jesus isn't who He's claimed to be, and if Jesus isn't the answer, God, I am guilty of murdering this man. Because it was because of me that he accepted Jesus as his Savior. Now he lies dead. And I want to tell you, my mind went through all of the Scripture and all of my own personal relationship. Is Jesus really who he claimed to be? Am I positive the message I've given is what is truth that comes from God? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God started to give me assurance that he would be with me. And we'd be together in heaven and God had a plan and a purpose. And it was through the blood of martyrs that the church has been born. We went. We did all the things that needed to be done. And as the weeks went by, as the number of months went by, all of a sudden, one after the other, the other those individuals that had been related to his family, that had been responsible for his death, came to me and said, we want what he had. Can you tell us about Jesus Christ? And I say to you young people that it doesn't matter where you go. Jesus Christ is the answer. And it doesn't matter to whom you speak. But one thing does matter is for you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that Jesus Christ has changed your life. And that what you claim to have, you have. That you know that you have eternal life. You know your assurance relationship to Him. You know because Jesus has changed you. The Word of God, the absolute, inerrant, holy, infallible Word of God is to be trusted. And we need to stand there. And our church needs to recognize that it's because of the head of the church that the mission heart of God is seen. Then please, not only that, but I want you to know that as our thoughts come to conclusion, the amazing disclosure by the Lord about His redemptive act, the amazing focus by the Lord for a redeemed humanity, Notice what Jesus said. You need to forsake all and follow Me. And you need to understand when Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto Me. Yes, He signified what death He would die. But the fact is that what the Greeks came to see in reality was unknown to them. And the world needs to see the redemption of Christ's life in us. One of the tragedies of today is the fact that we don't know about a crucified life. And there are lots of people trying to talk about Jesus, but I want to say that it is impossible to raise up the crucified Christ as your standard and mine unless we have sacrificed ourselves and said, I too am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You know, you look across America and everybody in the world is cursing all the things that are happening. Isn't that true? And you've got to be politically correct in everything you say. You've got to be politically correct in everything you do. But I want you to know something that you can make a difference. Your life can make a difference. You identify yourself with Him and you say, whatever it costs me, Lord, I will follow you. And God will make you what you ought to be. Just recently, I returned from spending about six weeks, five weeks in India. And I had the joy of being at the Calcutta Bible College that my father established. And I talked to a young man who had been a Satan worshiper. And he told me about all of the rituals, and I won't go into all the gory details, but one of them had to do with the drinking of human blood from the decapitated skull of a human being. But he said, in my darkness I found light. I found Jesus Christ. And wherever that young man goes, he says, I fear nothing anymore because I know that my life is his and I want to walk with him. And I look out at all of you. You're a handsome group of people. Beautiful gals. Great looking guys. You've got the future here. And I'll tell you this. If I had a thousand lives, it'd take me a week to get busy. I got so many things I'd love to do. I get so frustrated that this is all I can do. Sometimes I say, Lord, what is it? But you know, when I think about that, I think about the privilege we had in Hawaii of seeing International Baptist Church come into being. 
And through the time that we were there, 486 of our young people came to a commitment of their life to Jesus Christ and are today in full-time work for the Lord in 12 countries plus America. I go, wow, that's exciting. And as I look at you, I have not met most of you. I've met some of you. But I've not met most of you. But I know this. America is looking for somebody that's going to be a champion for the Lord. Recognizing you can't, but He can. And because of that, we will. And this morning, I would like to say, the head of the church, the heart of mission. When Jesus came into this world, He came on a mission. And from our churches, we now accept when He says, As the Father sent me, even so send I you. The world is waiting for you. And I ask you, are you waiting for them? One day I was in a village and I it was just outside in a little cot, a little camp, and all of a sudden I heard this wailing, incredible wailing. And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I knew it was the death wail instantly. And I got up and I got dressed and I went to the village. And I asked what was going on. People were moving out of their huts and moving down to this hut. And they said, oh, sir, the man of that hut has just died. And I said, may I offer my condolence? May I offer my sympathy? And they said, oh, sir, that would be wonderful. I was taken down to this place. And I was taken into this little house. There was the body of the man there. There was his wife, his children, the parents, a whole group of people sitting there and going through the customary things you do in death. And all of a sudden I said to them, may I have the privilege of saying to you, I'm so sorry. But I said, may I give to you some good news. And I started to give the good news of Jesus Christ, how he had come. And one of them said, Oh, sir, it's like light has been turned on in my heart. And then I said, Is there anybody who would like to know Jesus and know that you're on your way to heaven? One by one, these people came, and I had the joy of leading them to the Lord. And then I will never forget what happened as long as I live. This beautiful little lady came up to me, and she grabbed a hold of my shirt like this on both sides, and she looked up at me. And then she looked over at her husband. And she looked up at me and she said, Sir, where were you yesterday? Where were you yesterday? And I want all of you to know. Get yourself trained. And now in these next number of days, you're going to be going out and doing what God would have you to do. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody's today that you meet will keep them from an eternity without help, without hope. I know it all depends on Him. But, beloved, if we are not together, God needs us. He'll get along without us if He has to, but He needs us for His work. But if He leaves without us, we're the ones that are robbed. So I ask you, are you willing to be the crucified servant that lifts up the head of the church, Jesus Christ? Are you ready to take the challenge from His hand and Take the mission of the church to those that wait. May we do that till he comes. Shall we pray?
In the quietness of this hour, we pray that you just would undertake for us, Lord Jesus. We know that we in ourselves can do nothing. But we know, too, that you're able to do for us that which we cannot do. And, Father, we would pray right now in the quietness of this moment that you would just make us conscious that we are the instruments that you want to use. We are the instruments that you want to send into this world. And, Heavenly Father, we thank you that our Jesus is the head of the church. And as we lift up the crucified Christ, we then fulfill the mission of the church, the heart of the church, to go. In the quietness of this moment, may each of us deal with what God would have of us in the days ahead of us. May His will be done is our prayer in the lives of these precious men and women. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.